Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. We are kicking off a brand new series today, a series called Sticks and Stones. If you want to turn to somebody next to you and tell them, like a good old elementary kid, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And then you can add on to that. What a joke that is. I tell you what, I think most of the days I would take sticks and stones over painful words. There are certainly some forms of physical pain that will last and will be enduring, but most of the time, the bruise heals and the bone resets. But what's still playing in my mind is what someone said to me when I was 12 years old. What's still reeling in my thoughts is what they picked on me about when I was a kid, what my siblings used to call me and what my siblings used to say to me. What's still reeling in my mind is the way that somebody treated me. The thing that I go and I have to break down with a professional is not really a punch that someone swung at me. It's the things that got planted in the soul of my life. It's the things that got deeply seen in my mind and in my psyche and on my inside. It's the things that when I lay my head down and everything gets quiet, start speaking to me and saying, what about this? And what are you going to do about that? And don't you think this is what they think about you? And don't you think this is what they, the, the things that hang on to me are the issues of my soul are the things that have bruised me on the inside and have broken me on the inside. I would take a punch any day over a word that hits right on that insecure spot on the inside of me. And over the next several weeks, I want to talk about this idea. I want us to look at this place of what do we do with the internal anguish of our soul? What does God have to say about our inside longing? Yes, we've met Jesus and now we're still living in the here and the now, still carrying around the pain and the hurt and the turmoil of the life that we live in and of living with and of being broken people in a fallen world. And what do we do? do about all of that. And so today we're kicking it off with, a, for, with our first message, and I've titled this first message, The God of the Guilty. The God of the Guilty. And at this time of the year, when kids are going back to school and the weather starts changing, I don't know about you, but I find myself very nostalgic I start thinking about years in the past, and as we send kids back to school, I start thinking about how much they've grown and how big they've gotten and who they were a year ago and two years ago and who I was a year ago and two years ago. And as I started down my little nostalgia pondering of all the years we've come through, I started remembering a story about our son. 
So a few years ago, I took him to the doctor and he was getting a round of shots, a round of his next round of vaccinations. Now, people will tell you if you have kids that the worst round of vaccines to get for your kids in terms of the impact for you as a parent is taking them when they're an infant and they give them those infant shots. And it's very tough because they're so tiny and they're so helpless and you take them in there. In fact, when our first son got his first round. Phil was at work. He didn't work at the church yet. He worked at another incredible organization in town and he was telling his boss, oh yeah, my son is getting his first round of shots today. And he had an incredible boss and they said to him, your first son, your first child is getting their first round of shots today. And they sent him home to come meet me at the doctor's office because they were like, it's horrible. It's awful. You need to go be there. Why are you even here? And while I appreciated him coming, I would contend that the worst spot as a parent is when you start taking that kind of younger child to get their shots. Yeah, I see some of you are parents as well. You know why? Because they know what's going on now and they can communicate it to you. And it was this kind of a day, I think my son was around five years old and we're heading to the doctor's office and I'm like, hey, I want you to know, I'm pretty sure today we're gonna do some shots. That's gonna be part of what goes on today. And we're pretty straight shooter parents. So he's like, mom, is it gonna hurt? And I'm like, yep, it's definitely gonna hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt about this much. I think like a little bit, like a hard pinch, but this is why we do. I'm prepping it. I'm like, we got this. We're going to do it. No problem. We get in there. They get all ready. We do the whole appointment. He sits down. I'm holding his hand. I'm like, you got this, buddy. Here we go. They put those shots in him, and he looks up at me like, you lied. We're leaving the doctor's office and he says to me, mom, you lied to me. You said that would hurt a little bit. It did not hurt a little bit. It hurt the most hurty hurt, most hurt that I have ever felt in my whole life. And he looked at me with a look of utter betrayal. And I thought to myself, you live quite a charmed life that you think that is the most hurty hurt hurt that has ever existed in the world. But then I looked at his little face and I thought for the first time he has experienced in a very mild manner the feeling of betrayal. The feeling that I had been set up for one thing and my experience did not match what I thought that I had been set up for. Now, I am happy to announce that he has fully recovered from this particular instance of betrayal in his life, although he does announce on a regular basis, tell the doctor I am never doing that again, and I have let him run with that because we've got a couple more years to get him ready for his next round. But the sad thing that I know about his life is while that is a very mild and even comical form of experiencing betrayal, it will not be the last time that he feels betrayed in his life. What I know is that to live among other people is to feel betrayed in our life. 
is to feel the feeling of being let down and the feeling that my expectation of what was going on and what actually happened did not match to experience the reality that I shared something vulnerable about myself with somebody else and then they took that information and they leveraged it for their own advantage or they shared it with someone else to gain relationship with that person, to feel the feeling that someone took credit for something that they knew good and well that I did, to feel the feeling that someone has held a secret from me or has withheld information from me that is damaging in my life, to know the feeling that I had a certain expectation of a leader and that person has let me down, that the feeling of feeling betrayed is something that cuts to the quick. It is a specific type and a specific form of pain and of relentlessness that seems to twist the inside and leave us in deep and utter anguish of what do I do now and where can I be now and we start questioning all of the things that we thought that we knew and we start wondering about all of the people in our lives and suddenly we don't know where we are anymore. I want us to start off this series talking about what do we do when we experience betrayal? And David, King David from the Old Testament had something to say about being betrayed. Look at what he says in Psalms 55, starting in verse 12. He says, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. With God's house, we walked in the throng. It is the very nature of betrayal that it must be someone that is close to your life. David said, if it was my enemy, I could bear it. I know what to do with that situation. If it's somebody that I know is against me, I know how to respond when they act against me. I can be disappointed in a stranger and I can be angry with an enemy, but it has to be someone who is close in my life. It has to be someone who has come into a place of trust in my life for them to have the ability to betray me. Because to betray someone implies that I have broken trust with that person. And so I have had to extend trust to that person. The cashier at the checkout line can't betray me, but a friend can betray me. A leader I have trusted can betray me. A family member can betray me. A romantic partner can betray me. I can only be betrayed by those who are close to me. And no doubt, if I went around right now, there are moments and there are instances and there are names and there are faces that are flashing through our minds and recalling to us exactly what it is to be betrayed and exactly what that felt like in that moment and exactly the thoughts that we had when we realized that we had been deceived or we realized that someone had let us down because betrayal has a way of getting deep on the inside and the danger of betrayal is that 
that we say to ourselves, well, that will never happen to me again. And the danger of betrayal is that we begin to build walls in our lives and say, if they treated me that way, the only thing I know to do is to ensure that no one can ever treat me in that way again. So I'm going to build a wall all around my life, ensuring that no one ever comes close enough to betray me again and ensuring that that level of trust is never extended to anyone again. That way they can never quite get close enough to betray me. The thought behind building a wall is very simple. If I build this wall between you and I, we can talk across the wall and we can have relationship across the wall. And that's a level of relationship I'm ready and willing and able to be with you in. But the wall ensures that if you ever decide to strike, you strike the wall and you don't strike me. And that sounds nice, but the issue with the wall is that also if you ever decide to love, your love hits the wall and it can't reach me because the walls in our lives are not situational. And the walls in our lives cannot be erected and torn down depending on the person or depending on the moment. When you build a wall in your life, it becomes a barrier in your life between you and every person you come in contact with. And it becomes a barrier in your life between you and every situation you walk into. And the goal of life is not to walk around with walls in our life, but to figure out how do I come? out on the other side of this thing softer and tender and more open to people and more understanding of life and not more hard and not more bitter and not more brittle and not more broken and not with a heart of stone but rather with a heart of flesh how do I walk through this thing and ensure that I leave my walls down look at what David says in verse 14. Can we get verse 14 again? Because he says, we used to walk in the house of God together. Has anybody ever been betrayed by a fellow attender of the house together? See, we have an expectation that if someone is part of the family of God, then they are exempt from hurting us, then they are exempt from being among those who might have the capacity or the potential to betray us. And I wish that we could live 100% with that expectation, but the truth of the matter is that all of us are living inside of this journey and all of us are walking along this path of what it means to be more like Christ. And we expect that when we come into the house of God to worship God, that all of his people will behave God-like. And when we find out that they behave a little bit more like us than they do like Jesus, and they treat us a little bit more like we tend to treat people than Jesus treats people, then we are shocked and we are dismayed and we are hurt. And the issue that I see here is that we allow a moment of betrayal with one individual to send us out 
out of the house of God and to disconnect our relationship with God himself, with the house of God, with the power that's found in the gathering of the believers because of an instance and a moment and a season of betrayal in your life. And I would say to you, why on earth would you give that level of power to another human being who is also on their journey when the point of it all is to be found in his house and to come into the place where God finds us and where God heals us and where God restores us. Instead, you sit isolated and you sit alone with you and Jesus. And I bet he speaks to you and I bet he ministers to you, but I bet you will never be fully whole until you find yourself in the house where another people can come around on the inside of your wall and minister to the hurting place in you and speak to the hurting place in you and begin to pour oil in those hurting wounds in you and rebuild the trust that you can find and that you can have in his body. Oh, David was a man acquainted with betrayal. He knew what it was to say, if it was an enemy, I could have stood it, but it was you. It was my friend. It was my family. It was the one who was close and dear with me. And there are many instances of betrayal throughout David's life. But for today, I'd like to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18 and look at one of these scenarios. I believe it's probably the first and one of the most impactful moments when David experiences betrayal. There is a moment in your life when I think in some ways you move from an adolescent mindset into a fully grown mindset. And part of that movement is a realization and an understanding that everything is not not always going to go smoothly for you and that everything is not always going to be easy and that everything is not always going to be as you hoped and as you dreamed that it would be. And I believe that this is that moment for David. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're starting in verse 6. It says, And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine. The women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet Saul and with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments, the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh Uh-oh. And Saul was very angry at this saying, and it displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Okay, what's been going on here? So this is David. David has been anointed by Samuel to be the new king of the people of Israel. But nobody knows that yet besides those who were there. And then David comes out and he kills Goliath. This is the part that probably most of us know. He takes a slingshot and he throws it and he knocks Goliath out. And then he takes Goliath's own sword and he cuts his head off. It's very gruesome, much more gruesome than you were taught in Bible school. And he carries the head back with him. And he now becomes a great warrior among the people of Israel. He also, from time to time, is called into Saul's courts because Saul is 
is tormented in his soul and in his mind and is crumbling under the pressure and the weight of leadership. And when David plays his harp, it calms Saul's soul and it eases his spirit. And he has also been promoted to a military warrior who goes out and is known for defeating apparently tens of thousands of, no wonder the women were saying, they were like, this boy can play a harp and he can slay the enemies. Oh my Lord, David. And he comes home and he is gaining such prestige and he is gaining such popularity and he is growing in his influence and his power and his ability to speak and to connect with the people and to lead the people that Saul takes notice and his jealousy begins to be enraged. Let's go on because starting in verse 10 of the same chapter, it says, and the next day, A harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And as he did day by day, Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Okay, so David has come back into Saul's rooms to play his harp for him but however Saul's spirit and Saul's thoughts have turned towards David and he no longer looks at David as someone that he thinks enjoyably about and as someone that he is glad to have in his inner circle and someone that he is grateful for instead he now sees David as a threat and so instead of being welcome in that place Saul takes his spear his javelin and he throws it at David, but he forgot who David is because David ducks and dodges it. Not once, but twice Saul misses David, only further proving the point of why David should be king and Saul should not be king. And from here, we see an unraveling of the relationship of David and Saul. The next thing that we see is that Saul offers David to marry one of his daughters, who he does, in fact, end up marrying. And that seems like a kind gesture, except for we get this little line where we know that Saul gives his daughter, thinking perhaps she will become a snare to David in the midst of it. Perhaps she will become a hamstring in his house and in his leadership. He knew something about the character of his daughter that he was sending to live with David. And then he sends David out on a military feat. And it says that he thinks David won't be able to accomplish this particular task and will be overcome by the enemy. But that doesn't work on David either. So David comes on back having accomplished the kind of bizarre task that Saul sends him out on. And he comes back. And now because Saul was not able to capture him in that way, He sends men to David's house to get him and to bring him back. But David evades him in this count. And finally, after many moments of confusion and conversations and evading, Jonathan, who is Saul's son and David's friend, comes to him and says, my father no longer looks favorably on you. You were right. He wants to kill you and he's coming after you. And David flees from the situation and runs from this moment. And this is a point of turning in David's life. And it is a point of turning in David's relationship with Saul because he realizes 
recognizes that he is no longer safe in the place that he previously thought he was safe in, that he can no longer find leadership and mentorship in the place that he thought he could find leadership and mentorship in, David finds himself running from Saul and David would find himself in moments of betrayal time and time again in his life. And I think there are some things we can learn from David about how he handles betrayal, about what he does when everything in his life gets turned in an instant, when everything in his life seems to flip and be not what he thought that it would be. I'm not totally clear on what David thought his ascension to the throne would look like, but I imagine he had a much tidier path in mind. I imagine it involved continuing to stay in the palace and learning from the current king on how to be king. But instead, he finds himself running. And the first thing that I think that it's notable that David does when he realizes that he has been betrayed by Saul and that Saul has turned on him is that David flees from that situation. He runs Away. This marks an ending of the relationship that Saul and that David had. This marks a break in the connection and the camaraderie that they had experienced before. And while there are moments and while there are times when complete relational reconciliation is possible, when someone shows you who they are on the inside and shows you the way they are treating you and shows you the way that they they think about you and shows you the way that they are willing to behave towards you unless that person goes through a complete restoration of their own that relationship can no longer remain as it was before that moment of betrayal that relationship can no longer be considered a safe place to be in any longer part of the grief that David experiences is the realization that this relationship will no longer be what it was. That this relationship can no longer be what I hoped and what I dreamed that it would be. And David flees from the house of Saul and he runs from the place that he had been found in. I think too often we want to stay in a place and restore in a place while betrayal is still happening. And while javelins are still being thrown at us and while darts are still coming in our direction and while you are afraid for your well-being and while your soul is being attacked and while your safety is in question that is not the moment when restoration of your relationship can happen in the instance of betrayal that is the moment that David and Saul's relationship is broken and that he moves in a new direction in fact it was the throwing of the javelin that announced not only to David but to everyone in the room that David was freed from his connection in this relationship. Culturally, if a leader threw a javelin at an underling, at someone who was serving them, 
that became that person's freedom to leave the service of the person they had been serving. It was an announcement to other people that the, co the contract or the understanding of the way that you served under this person had now been broken and you were free to move in another direction. When the javelin left Saul's hand for the first time, it was an announcement to everyone in the room that David was free. It's only a statement of David's character and David's heart and David's longing for Saul that there was time for a second javelin to even be thrown for him to duck it and for him to dodge it because David like all of us cared and longed for the relationship so much that he wanted to stay there that he couldn't believe it that he looked again and said surely that javelin didn't just come from Saul's hand at me me who has served him and me who has been with him and me who has done everything I can to build up his kingdom surely that's not have you ever taken a second look I know that didn't just come from that person I know they didn't just say that about me I know you didn't hear that from that source and when David took his second look he found out that spear came exactly from where he thought it came from and he was released from the relationship and he fled from the place he had previously been in order to preserve his life and where David flees to tells us a lot David flees to go and find Samuel he goes to a place where he can find wisdom where he can find counsel where he can find safety where he can connect with God he goes to a godly wise voice in his life to say this is what's going on and what do I do about it he doesn't run home to his family because they can't help him with this. And he doesn't run to all of his military buddies because they can't help him with this. And he doesn't get on the public feed and start telling, can you believe what Saul just did to me? Because the crowd has no business knowing about what's going on with Saul and with David. He runs to Samuel and he says, Samuel, what do I do now? He runs to the place of godly counsel. He runs to the last person who saw him for who he truly is. Is. he runs to the person who knows what's on the inside of him he runs to the person who knows how to give him covering and who knows how to give him guidance and who knows how to give him understanding the place that you run to in the midst of betrayal will have a lot to do with who you are on the other side of betrayal the place that you run to in the midst of betrayal will have a lot to do with who gathers around you when you are going through a season of betrayal the place you run to in betrayal says everything about how you are processing and seeing this situation and David doesn't run to any of the people who he called friend or any of the people who were singing his praises he doesn't go find the women in their sweet fun song even though they probably would have been on his side and saying David I can't believe Saul would do you like that doesn't he know you've got tens of thousands and he only has thousands can you believe I know he missed you anyway David because he can't throw his javelin like you and sometimes when we're in the midst of betrayal that's all we want is to know that someone loves me still and to know that someone can talk sweet about me still and to know that you see me still and my soul is so longing and my soul is so hurting and I'm feeling so broken that I just want to go to the next somebody who will just say some nice words to me but David doesn't need nice words right now and David doesn't need your empty praises right now and David doesn't need your flattery right now 
David needs to know, is there a leader who can give me wisdom? Is there a voice that can give me guidance? Is there someone that can speak to me about what do I do now? Because I didn't see this coming and I didn't know it would happen to me. And I heard that other people had been betrayed, but I thought that the goodness of my soul and I thought that the faithfulness of who I was would keep me and would preserve me. And I found out that sometimes that's not enough. And David runs to Samuel in the midst of his distress. And he runs to him. And Samuel gives him guidance. And Samuel helps him know where to go. And the other thing we learn from David in the midst of betrayal is that David holds on to his peace. David, if you read his life story, is betrayed time and time again. He is turned on at every side and he continually maintains his depth of intimate relationship with God. He continually remains in the place where God has put him and he continually says, I will keep my conscience. I won't snap back with everything that you throw at me and I won't violate the person that God has made me to be just to get even with you. He becomes the kind of person that says what my leaders have taught me, which is that I won't tell the truth on you for the lies you have said about me because the inner person of who I am is more important to me. It's more important to me to maintain my peace and my peace is kept not by avoiding battles and not by avoiding conflict. My peace is kept by, uh, by maintaining the inner conscience of who I am and my deep connection with God. Look at what David says in Psalm 3 and 5. He, this is in the midst of when his son Absalom turns on him. His son betrays him and tries to come for his kingdom. And David says, I laid down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. In the midst of betrayal, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of peace, and in the, mi in the midst of unrest, David still has his peace. And he says, I laid down and slept some of us are so worried about some what someone else is going to say about us and some of us are so worried about what's going on out there and some of us are so worried about what are they telling people truth or lies about who we are and we're so wrapped up in it that we can't find our peace anymore but david says in the midst of it i still had peace and though David faced betrayal time and time again, I think there are two sustaining factors in David's life. One is his continual connection with God, his continual connection with who God is and his deep, intimate relationship with God. David was a man who loved deeply, who was passionate, who lived fully and extreme and wrote deep psalms and had relationships with other people. Though he went through betrayal after betrayal, David is not a person who built up walls in his life, but he still lived with walls down and with arms open for whatever life would bring to him. And I believe part of that came from his deep, intimate relationship with God. And the other part of it, I can't point to a specific moment, but it's rather a continual thread through David's life, which is a sustaining belief that I will 
come through this. That I am coming out on the other side of this thing. That on the other side, I'm going to be better. I'm not going to be more broken. That on the other side of this, I'm going to live with a heart that is more tender towards people, not more broken towards people. David had a deep understanding of who God had called him to be and where God had placed him. And because he knew who he was and he knew whose he was and he knew where God had placed him every time someone came at him, David didn't get in turmoil about it and David didn't get upset about it David had something in him that said I'm still coming out on the other side of this thing and I'm telling you if you've ever been betrayed in your life and if you've ever experienced betrayal if you're walking through betrayal right now the word of God over your life is that this thing is not gonna take you down the word of God over your life is that you're gonna grow through this thing the word of God over your life is that there's a tomorrow for you is that there's a future for for you is that nobody can take from you what God has put in your hand and nobody can unlodge in you the thing that God has deposited on the inside of you let them say what they will and let them do what they will but if God has it for you no one can take it from you if God has positioned you there no one can remove you from it oh it's gonna hurt a little bit but on the other side of it you're gonna get better on the other side of it there's gonna be something new on you on the other side of it you're gonna grow stronger on the other side of it you're gonna have a new compassion for other people on the other side of it your life is gonna be seasoned with his presence in a brand new way there's wisdom for you and there's a future for you David understood that there's something that happens to me that though you betray me and though you turn against me and though you've tried to take me out you can't take me out because as long as God is for me no betrayer can have me and no betrayer can take me because God said I'm coming through this thing on the other side and you will come through and you will see a tomorrow and you will survive this thing but as I was preparing in the midst of all that there was a question that kept itching in my spirit and that is what happens when you're the betrayer we love to rally around the one who's been hurt and we love to circle around the one who's been wronged and rightly so but what happens when you're the one who lets someone down of the expectation they had for you what happens when you're the one who speaks out of turn what happens when you're the one who doesn't live up to the person that God has called you to be and the place he has positioned you and the way he has positioned you in life? And David has something for us on that as well. Because if you run all the way to 2 Samuel, you'll find a story about David and a woman named Bathsheba and a man named Uriah. Uriah 
was a leader in David's army now. David has become king and he has gone into the position that God always called him into. And somewhere in the process, he has gotten a lost and confused. And David is at home and Uriah is at battle. And David sees Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And David takes Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and he sleeps with her. And she becomes pregnant and David's sin becomes more complicated and in order to try and cover his first betrayal of Uriah he sends notice to the army to send Uriah out in front so that Uriah will be slain in battle and Uriah is in fact slain in battle and David is betrayer on betrayer and so God sends Nathan who's the prophet now to David and David and Nathan comes to David and he tells him this parable about a man who had a small lamb and a man who had a lot and the man who had a lot didn't want to use his and so he took the lamb from the small man and look what David says oh and David gets angry at the man Nathan says tell me what you would do about this and Nate and David is furious and he's like somebody go get that man and let him know he's going off you know you can't believe this it's awful and look at what Nathan says to him in 2 Samuel 12 and 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. David, you are the man in the story. And thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hands of Saul. And he goes on for verse on verse about all of the things that God has done for David and all of the things that God has given to David. And he even says somewhere in the middle, and if you wanted more, David, I would have given you more. You didn't have to go take what was someone else's. It goes off on him. And it gets to the end and David's response makes all the difference. David's response. If you find yourself in the place of the betrayer is everything. 2 Samuel 12 and 13, it says, And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David owns it. David doesn't try to backstep. David doesn't try and cover his tracks. David doesn't try to excuse himself. And David doesn't try to explain why he did what he did or anything. He just owns it. He says, Nathan, you're right. It was me. I did all of that. I'm every bit as bad as you said. I'm every bit as guilty as what you laid out. I did all of those things. And Nathan says to David, the Lord also put away your sin and you shall not die. He says, the Lord also put away your sin and you shall not die. If you read the whole passage, the important thing is that David confesses it, that David owns it, that David doesn't try to back off of it. And David doesn't try to say it wasn't me or if you really understood what was going on or if you knew the pressure of the life I'm living, Nathan, you would understand. He just owns it and says, I have, I've sinned. I did that. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of it. And there is consequence for the sin that David committed. 
Nathan speaks to him and he says, because of what you've done, the sword won't leave your house. And because of what you've done, the baby, the baby's not going to live because of the action that you took. There are consequences for your betrayal. I don't want to speak to you today. If you find yourself going, I know that that's me. I'm the guilty one. I'm the one who has sinned. I don't want to communicate to you that that means that everything is going to go back to normal in your life. There are things that we do and this becomes a turning moment in David's life where you can trace back certain things to this moment and to this decision he says there are consequences for what happened and you have to face that reality but he also says but you're forgiven God has forgiven you God says your sins have been wiped away. God says that he forgets the sin that you have made, that he has called you back unto his own, that when you find yourself guilty, he still calls you home. That when you find yourself broken, when you find yourself being the offensive party in a scenario, he is still the God who calls to you. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we serve. The God that when I have been hurt and when I have been bruised and when I have been broken comes to me to wrap up my broken pieces and comes to me to make me whole again. And the God that when it was me, when I'm the one who threw the stone and when I'm the one who said the awful thing, when I'm the one who was less than who I should have been, when I'm the one who doesn't measure up to the God-like character that he has deposited, he still comes to me. Nathan coming to David is relief. It's an opportunity to bring into light the thing that is broken and eating away at his soul. God is bringing to light right now the things that are broken, the things that are hurting, the things that have been eating you in the midnight hour and he's saying to you, I am the God of the guilty as well. I am the God of the suffering and I am the God of the hurting and I am the God of the ill but I'm also the God of the guilty. I'm also your God when you did what you know you shouldn't have. I'm also your God when you look back and you said I can't believe it was me. I can't believe I did to him like Saul did to me. I can't believe I went after him the way Saul came after me. God I can't believe and when David found himself there he found out a new layer of God's depth of his love and he found out a new layer of God's depth of his goodness and he found out a new layer of God's depth of his faithfulness and he said I'm the God who comes after you even when you're guilty I'm the God who comes after you even when you're lost and when you're hurting and David said it was me it was me and he found himself forgiven before God he found himself right before God last week you looked at the verse in Matthew 18 that says come to me all who are heavy burdened and I will give you rest is there a heavier burden than the burden of the guilty is there a heavier burden than the burden of the one who knows it was them so whether you find yourself in the anguish and confusion of being betrayed against and wondering how did someone turn on me like that, I want to pray for you today. Just raise your hand, stand to your feet where you are. Or if you find yourself in the pain of saying, I am guilty 
raise your hands and stand to your feet because here is the truth of it all is that we are all broken before God and we all need Jesus whether it's the pain that was done to me and the sin that was afflicted upon me or the pain that moved through me and the sin that came from my hand the answer is the same and the answer is Jesus God I pray over your people today I pray your forgiveness I pray your healing balm I pray your hand that reaches all the way to our deepest pains and I thank you that you are the God who comes for us I thank you that you are the God who heals our soul. I speak your healing across this room. I speak your freedom across this room. To everyone who has been on the receiving end of betrayal, God, I speak over them that they will hope again, that they will love again, that they will trust again, that you are pouring out your oil in their life, God. And to every person who has been the distributor of betrayal in their life, God, I speak that you are calling them home that they would experience your love and your grace and your forgiveness and the depths of who you are God God I thank you for who you are Jesus